1: Hello, and welcome to the Big Blue Review Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum, and we are coming to you with part two of our Giants, basically off-season review. At the beginning of the week, we took a look at the Giants' offense, we went position by position, just kind of broke down what... That happened at each position what we can maybe look for going forward so right now we're going to do that and flip sides and do that for the defensive side of the ball we're going to go position by position break down a couple players what was good what was bad and because this is the defense in 2018 (laughs) a lot of it was bad but we are going to look forward at the end and just see what the giants can do to improve so you uh you ready to break this all down chris Yep,
2: we might as well wade right in.
1: Alright, let's see that. So before we get into the positions, let's do a quick overall view of the defense, uh, which, again, not great. So the defense was 26th in DVOA during the 2018 season. They were 26th against the pass, 20th against the run. They were 26th in yards per drive, and 27th in points per drive. So... Not really where you would like a defensive unit to be. So I think first we can just kind of talk about maybe this scheme because I think a lot of this started to come from Dave Gettleman's postseason press conference where he seemed to put like almost all of the blame on the defense, which I don't think is totally fair. The defense was bad, but I think a lot of that was kind of his doing. There was just not the talent on the defensive side of the ball, that there was on the offensive side of the ball. The offense was uh, bad just because the, the scheme and their, we'll say the quarterback play, I will say that, and just kind of uh, the idea of how it was built. But on defense, it was just, there were not the players there to succeed at what they needed to do.
2: No, I mean, it was pretty much clear from as soon as the draft ended the 2018 draft that the Giants just weren't going to have the guys to get after opposing quarterbacks and, and their own cornerback depth was going to be an issue. And that was even before they traded Eli Apple in the middle of the season. Yeah. There were some pretty glaring holes on the roster and it really didn't get any better they really didn't find any answers during the season they if anything the holes just got bigger
1: yeah that's certainly true and yeah there's there weren't a lot of answers and i think the giants went into a lot of places with a quantity over quality strategy kind of hoping maybe quality would find its way out of there but it it really didn't they did that at at cornerback and safety especially and it didn't work so let's let's just go to the positions and break down some of these players i think one place where they did have good players but uh, one place where a lot of people were upset with the production, and that was uh, in the pass rush, uh, specifically off the edge. The Giants had Olivier Vernon, but he was hurt at the beginning of the season. and When he came back, it took him a little bit to get going. But when he got going, he was actually good. And a lot of people are going to uh, talk about the the sack numbers, and the Giants were among the worst in the league at getting sacks. They had 30 sacks all season, which was tied for the second fewest. Uh, in the league, but also tied for the second fewest in the league was the New England Patriots who were in the Super Bowl. So there are ways around that, and both of those teams were good at generating pressure. I have a post of that up on Big Blue View. Uh, if you want like to read it, I'm, I don't want to go through the whole thing right now, So just so we can get through this. Both teams were very good at creating pressure, just sometimes the sacks weren't there, but pressure is... A good thing to get and that's what the pass rush can do they can only do so much getting pressure and if a team is getting rid of the ball quickly and just there's so many other places and offense can control whether pressure turns into sacks probably more than the defense can control that so the Giants got pressure it just didn't always end in taking the quarterback down and Olivier Vernon is Basically, the embodiment of that. He was great at creating pressure. It just didn't always come into sacks, although, in the last few games of the season, those sacks started coming because he was consistently in the backfield. So, Next Gen Stats just uh, tweeted this out the other day since week 12, and this was including the playoffs, QB pressures per game. Olivier Vernon was number one. That's That was ahead of Khalil Mack. That was ahead of Trey Flowers. I was ahead of Aaron Donald. So Olivier Vernon was a guy who was getting to the passer very often, and that is something he should be commended for and not written off for because those sacks didn't come.
2: Yeah, and part of that has been because of the Giants' coverage. You know, they just haven't had the ability to keep the ball in the quarterback's hands, disrupt those quick routes. So quarterbacks could get the ball out before Vernon could get there. Another part, I think, is that he pretty much was their pass rush, except for B.J. Hill, who really started to come on towards the end of the season and get a more consistent push of his own. But Vernon has pretty much always been a guy who creates pressure, but he needs either someone to keep a quarterback from running away from him or someone to create pressure on the other side so either he or the other guy will be able to convert. He was at his absolute best when JPP was in New York and before he had his sports hernia and he was coming on. The two of them just fed off of each other. And personally, I think that's what Vernon needs again. He needs a wingman.
1: Yeah, and the Giants, that was one place where the Giants took that quantity over quality. A shot at that secondary position there were, i mean they had the third round pick in lorenzo carter he improved a little bit i still want to see a lot more development from him as a pass rusher some of that happened in the second half of the year but he's still a, a very raw pass rusher they had kareem martin who was another guy who, who created pressure that didn't always turn into sacks Connor Barwin was supposed to be a a veteran, a free agent that helped there. He did a little bit, but he is already not going to be returning to the Giants. He announced that this week. And so there were just a number of of attempts at that secondary option, but no one really stood out to help. And that was, I think, the biggest problem. Rather than Vernon who gets a lot of the blame because he's, you know, the highly paid guy, but he did his job. He was getting to the quarterback. So, yeah, I think when, when we look at this, I think getting that depth there and getting maybe a better complement in the pass rush is something that's going to help that entire unit uh, going forward
2: absolutely and you know i think this is a pretty good time before we get way ahead of ourselves and start talking about how they could improve to go to go to the middle of the defense and the interior defensive line which personally i think is probably their best best and strongest unit
1: Yeah, if if you want some hope, this is probably where you want to look, especially when you want to look at the young players. I mean, you started this season with Damon Harrison and Dalvin Thomason and BJ Hill in a rotation. Once Harrison got traded, that opened up a lot more playing time for B.J. Hill, and that was great. He was the breakout star of this rookie class, really. He was taken in the third round. He was their second third round pick after Lorenzo Carter. He had a much better rookie season than Carter did, and when you're looking for someone who can have a pass rush from the interior, uh, that was Hill. He was second on the team in sacks with Of five and a half Uh, he was fourth in quarterback hits with eight and per sports info solutions he was 11th among 93 defensive tackles with at least 100 pass rushes in sack rate and 11th in pressure rate and then if you move that cutoff to 300 pass snaps and that's 29 defensive tackles qualify hill was seventh in both sack rate and pressure rate Uh, And he's up there with some of the guys you think of in terms of getting the pressure from the interior. So you know, BJ Hill was good. Dalvin Tomlinson turned into the run-stuffer that not quite Damon Harrison was because no one's really the run-stuffer <laughs> Damon Harrison was. Uh, Except
2: but, for Damon Harrison.
1: Right, exactly. Uh, but uh, he gave you enough in that pass rush where these two guys are are two that can definitely be the middle of your defensive line for a while.
2: Definitely. I, the problem there going forward is that the Giants just do not retain defensive tackles, or at least historically they haven't. And while much of that was with Jerry Arisa, general manager, a lot of it was also with Dave Gettleman basically being the director of pro personnel. So it will be interesting to see if Tom Linsing gets a second contract for the Giants. He's going into his third year, so they still have two more years with him hopefully they'll keep him around because he is about as good a non-snacks nose tackle as you could ask for and he and hill do work well together now there's also the third guy in there which they claimed mario edwards jr on waivers after final cutdowns he was released by the oakland raiders and i thought he turned into a really nice pickup
1: Yeah, he did. And he got to the part where I think the Giants were comfortable rotating him in. And that's something the Giants said they wanted to do along the defensive line is have a deep rotation, not have to play these defensive players Along the line, you know, ninety percent of the snaps, like Vernon and Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, were doing uh, over the past couple years. So when you have guys who can rotate in, you keep guys like Damon Harrison and B.J. Hill fresh. That is absolutely something uh, that helps everybody out. Personally, I thought Edwards actually
2: probably could have used a bigger share of the snap count because he usually flashed he didn't get I think as much production as they might have hoped but when he was on the field he was usually around the ball
1: yeah so he got about 41 percent of the defensive snaps you know Kerry Wynn was in there at 36 percent then Josh Morrow was there at like 25 percent John Jenkins only got about a five 0.2% RJ McIntosh who was out for most of the year he got in at 6% um, so there there was you know a decent amount at that like th- kind of guy so there was some of these guys are a little older um but then you have guys like RJ McIntosh who Macintosh was a rookie this year, and so there is still that rotation. So I think that is going to be the focus on how to improve that interior. It's just to keep a decent rotation, but still have enough quality there that you're not really losing anything when you get those guys on the field.
2: Definitely, and Macintosh is going to be, or at least could be, one of the real maybe under the radar, but interesting guys to watch through the coming off season and into OTAs and mini camp and then training camp because we basically did not see him until the season was almost over he had a thyroid issue if I remember correctly and he also had another undisclosed illness that as far as I know we don't have any information about he didn't test as well as i thought he was going to back when he was preparing for the draft but we also don't know how much of that was due to his medical issues if he could consistently play like he did when he was quentin nelson's worst nightmare when notre dame played miami that would be huge for the giants defense but I don't think they could count on that either.
1: No, I think right now he's probably slots in as one of those back-end rotation guys. I don't even, I'm not even sure if you can put him as like the third guy in the rotation, although he kind of started to get those reps at the end of the season when he did play. But we'll see, he's, uh, he's definitely not going to slot in as a starter, which I mean, even as a fifth round pick, he shouldn't be expected to have been there if healthy anyway so uh, i think yeah he'll be uh, interesting to see because we just it didn't get to see a lot of him this season uh, but i think that he is a piece that can be put in there is a good thing for the giants so there's not a full blank slate of what they you know, might need to have as as an interior defensive rotation
2: yeah so now that we hit the high point of our uh Kind of quick defense cookie defensive review um let's start going down the slope
1: yeah it starts getting <laughs> a little downhill from here so let's talk about linebacker and uh, basically where that's going to start is with alec ogletree and uh, how you view the linebacker position in 2018 is kind of how you view alec ogletree and it's it's kind of that maybe it's a uh, it's a difficult place for some people because there was some production. He had the interceptions and the pick sixes. But overall, there were a lot of bad angles on uh, in coverage. There was a lot of missed tackles. There was just the, the huge contract. And I think all of that has to play a big part in the evaluation. So among 153 defenders who had at least 40 solo tackles, Alec Ogletree was 4th in broken tackle rate per Sports Info Solutions. That is not the type of (laughs) production you want from the guy in the middle of your defense. Uh, Someone who is getting tackles broken uh, that consistently, uh, that's just... It's hard (laughs) to, to win like that because that's just a huge hole in the middle of your defense, and he doesn't really make up for it in other places.
2: No, and we have to really ask about the production he did have which especially came in the second half of the year which was definitely the easy part of the Giants schedule they faced a bunch of backup quarterbacks and for the most part that was when Ogletree did most of his damage so was he getting more comfortable in the new what was for him a new scheme After the first half of the season and then getting a bye week to digest it, did he make adjustments and just find a level of comfort and play faster? Or were the backup quarterbacks helping him out by telegraphing their intentions with their eyes and just generally playing not good?
1: Yeah, it's fair to say maybe it was a little bit of both. Maybe he was getting a little more comfortable, but also... I think when you look at the production and you look at something like playmaking uh, EPA, which is basically expected points added for defensive players, which kind of just takes into account... Uh, the plays, they had a, a positive play. It's a little bit of a flawed way for EVA. It's a little harder to accurately show a defensive playmaking uh, by expected points added. And when you look at that, Ogletree comes out very well because of the points added he got from touchdowns. But some of those were, he was just in the right place at the right time. Those were deflections, they fell into his hands, and he scored. So, but when you look at the things like he can control, that's, that's where I, I'd still have questions about whether he should be someone who holds up in the middle of that defense.
2: Agreed. Yeah. And then the Giants did have a kind of rotation of linebackers who played beside him when he was healthy. The starting middle linebacker or strong inside linebacker, uh, BJ Goodson, personally, I like Goodson, but... With Ogletree being Ogletree and having hit the athletic profile that he does, as well as being the kind of communicator and leader on the defense that he is, Goodson's going to be the guy who comes off the field when they have to go into a sub-package, which, I th- which is almost a shame because I think he is actually the Giants' best all-around linebacker. He doesn't have the range or athleticism that Ogletree does, but he is... He seems to be a more instinctive, or I should say his play speed is faster. And he's definitely a better
1: tackler. Neither one of those are very high bars to clear. And that's uh, kind of the problem. The Giants have a decent amount of resources uh, invested in Ogletree in the middle of that defense. So he's going to carry... Uh, An $11.75 million cap hit this year. And what they can do is... Again, what they did last year is take his guaranteed roster bonus and and restructured that and turned it into and restructured the contract, pushed some cap money down the line. But if you do that again, that gives you basically another year guaranteed that Alec Ogletree is going to be on the team. So I'm not sure if you want to do that. The Giants would only save $500,000 if they, if they move on from Ogletree. That was one of the ramifications of the trade. He came with a big cap hit last year. They had to restructure that to get under the cap and free up some space for other things they needed to do and they were in that win now mentality and again don't let Dave Gettleman tell you he was not the Ogletree trade and restructure was absolutely a showcase that they were and pushing money back into uh, 2019, and this might again push money into 2020. So uh, that's that's part of the problem. You have a lot of cap space in a player who is one not worthy of that, and at middle linebacker, really the replacement level at that position is so low. Uh, you can have some other guys like Zach Brown, who's in Washington, was much better linebacker than Ogletree. That uh, was a much better tackler. Was fine in coverage. Uh, and he signed for like four million dollars maybe six uh, for a one-year deal so uh, you could have had something else there uh, that continues to be my problem with that Tree trade
2: and we could probably do a and probably will at some point do a whole show on just instances like that from last year
1: yeah, so there, there why don't we just move on <laughs> yeah Okay, let's let's move out to corner now, which is uh, probably the biggest place the Giants went for the quantity over quality strategy. So they had Janoris Jenkins who. It was the big free agent signing in 2016. He had a great 2016, had a not great 2017. I think we remember him not showing up after the bye last year. No one questioned his will to play this year, but he just, he did not play very well. And then behind him, they started the season with Eli Apple, who had a rough, first half of the season, then got traded to New Orleans. That moved B.W. Webb, who did not play in the NFL last year. That moved him from a nickel corner to the outside corner. That put Grant Haley in with more snaps as the starting nickel corner. So as just everything moved down, there was not enough quality depth to move there. It's one of the reasons the Giants' pass rush, like we said in the beginning, also, you It's something I wrote in that piece on the differences between the Giants pass rush and the Patriots pass rush, which were very similar. The Patriots just had a better secondary to cover up when there was pressure. The Giants only uh, didn't even allow a yard fewer with pressure than without pressure uh, in yards per attempt. And that is almost unheard of. They had a higher touchdown rate allowed when they got pressure than they did without pressure. That is unheard of. Uh, That's all because this secondary just could not hold up. So per Sports Info Solutions and Football Outsiders among 85 qualified cornerbacks, Jenkins was 70th in yards allowed per pass and 70th in success rate. Webb was 42nd in yards per pass, and he was 18th in success rate. A lot of that came when he was working in the slot earlier in the season. Haley was 58th in yards allowed per pass and 71st in success rate. So when you just have corners that aren't uh, holding up on a play-to-play basis, it's very hard for everyone else to do that.
2: Yeah, and Jenkins would have stretches where he looked like the player he was in 2016 he got he was hurt for pretty much all of 2017 he was playing through a succession of injuries which that didn't come out until either very close to the end of the 2017 season or after it ended that just how many lower leg injuries he was playing through but then he would just give up a big play now because of some other things and not knowing what the exact coverage that was called or what the responsibilities were i'm not going to exactly kill him because some of them i'm sure weren't his fault which we will get to that in our in our next spot webb i think was good for a player who wasn't in the league the year before but i'm still not comfortable relying on him to be the number two corner for another year he would have a good savvy play but then he would also have reps that showed why he wasn't in the league the year before i think most of the hope here is with grant haley who i think played better than pretty much anyone could have asked for being an undrafted free agent rookie but like you said, they they need better coverage, especially to run the kind of defense that James Betcher wants to run you know they're not running a zone based kind of sit back and wait for the offense to make a mistake defense they run a pressure defense and you need to have a secondary that can hold up in coverage I and mean, that that's just it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Webb was a nice piece, and he did exceed expectations, but again, he's someone, if you're projecting toward 2019, yeah, he's someone you want as that Death piece, and not your number two corner, which is what he was uh, at the end of last year, and the same thing for Haley. He came in, he played uh, pretty well uh, a little bit as the season wore on. I think teams started to pick on him a little more, and then that's where he started to struggle. I don't think a lot of that, you know, is on him when you're placing, you know, an undrafted free agent like that that's not always going to work out he's not going to be expected to shut down everyone I I think just personally I I liked the way he played I liked him coming out of college so I do have hopes for him projecting going forward but you you have to think about all that and just the the lack of quality the Giants had there is what stands out to me. Is really that that secondary depth and this secondary production uh, is the biggest piece to me of why this defense struggled.
2: Yeah, and I think that leads in perfectly to the final position group, safety.
1: Oh, and if we're going to talk about struggling in the secondary, oh man! All right, so Curtis Riley and our old friend. Oh, boy! All right.
2: Is it time to dust off the Giants? Should sign eric reed
1: hey he's gonna be a free agent again um we got our segment back Um, Woo! (laughs) yeah so for those of you that are new to listening and didn't really listen to the first couple episodes i think until eric reed was signed with the carolina panthers uh that was a Recurring theme of the podcast that the Giants need to sign Eric Reed because it became very apparent early on that Curtis Riley was not good. And he was asked to play the single high free safety very often. He just was not up to the task. Consistently took bad angles for tackles, bad angles on uh, the passing routes when the ball was in the air. So, if we go back to those broken tackles and that 153 players with 40 or more solo tackles, said Alec Ogletree was fourth in broken tackle rate, Curtis Riley was second. And that's so when you have someone getting tackles broken uh, in the second level, and then you have someone getting broken tackles worse behind him, (laughs) that's (laughs) I don't know how you expect to stop anybody. Uh, and that Riley... is the middle of your defense. Yeah, Riley was easily one of the worst tacklers in the league. The only player who was worse was Jeff Heath, the safety from Dallas. Um, and Riley was another one of those quantity over quality. In in training camp, they threw out a whole bunch of players to try to win the free safety job. Uh, It was Curtis Riley, Darian Thompson, Andrew Adams. I don't know how either one of those did not win the job, but they went with Riley, and basically from week one, he was overwhelmed with the responsibilities he had as the single deep safety. There were a lot of problems there, and that just continued to be a problem throughout the season and the Giants didn't have anyone to put in there to fix it
2: no I by the end of the season they tried michael Thomas they tried Chandler and those guys you know, Thomas is i I like him I'm not sure how you cannot like him but he isn't an every down starting free safety and neither is Chandler really I would say that is the single biggest hole on the Giants defense is just free safety that position gets overlooked by a, a bunch of teams and it is I might be overstating it a little bit but it's that's the linchpin of a cover one blitzing defense you need that single high safety to be a recognize what the offense is trying to do b know where he is supposed to be c get there and d make the tackle when he gets there and riley chose e none of the above
1: so it was just a real weird Just a league-wide situation for safeties. There were a bunch of good ones in free agency. Again, Eric Reed was one, but Trey Boston was another who only signed a one-year deal in Arizona. Just across the league, that position was kind of ignored and it didn't make sense. Derwin James fell to 17th in the draft, and that is just just—it's still insane to me. It was very clear he was going to be good. So there were just a lot of teams that just ignored it, and it didn't make any sense especially a team like the Giants who was going to play a lot of, of this single high safety that they did Raleigh was the last piece of defense out there and he was the guy who had to break up deep routes the last line of defense on running plays that were long and he, he just couldn't do it so I, I don't really understand of why that was how they decided to go about that position. And when we look forward, that is absolutely going to be a place where they need to just rethink whatever they viewed that position to be heading into this season, because it definitely needs to change going into the next one. Oh,
2: definitely. and Well, I suppose we might as well get to our uh, suggestions to improve because I think the other part of the safety equation part we didn't mention is one of the biggest parts of the Giants offseason plans and that is Landon Collins
1: right so uh, Collins you know played pretty well he was you know asked to do some different things in this defense he struggled a little bit when he was put one-on-one in man coverage I think we all remember the 49ers uh, basically started that game by by picking on him and why why the Giants were really asking Collins to cover George Kittle one-on-one at the rate they did is questionable. But the Niners saw that and tried to exploit that. Then in the second half, they moved on to exploiting Alec Ogletree. So those are two fun topics that we had discussed at that time. And then Collins got hurt. He missed the last four games of the season. And his... The contract is up. He's going to be a free agent now in March once the new league year starts. There's the big question on how the Giants are going to go about that and whether they can franchise him. If they can, I- I've seen some people suggest they put the transition tag on him, um, which makes absolutely no sense to me because what the transition tag does is basically just opens up for another team to give Collins an offer, and the Giants have the opportunity to match but the Giants aren't completely swimming in cap space, so there is a reasonable scenario where another team could come and uh, and structure a deal in, in a way that the Giants would not feel comfortable matching, and then they would lose Collins for nothing. So I, I don't see how that would make sense at all, but then of course I think the most ideal scenario is if they figure out a, a long-term uh, contract that would keep collins in new york for a couple more years
2: i agree completely yeah
1: i like landon collins
2: and the giants need to improve and i don't believe you improve by letting good players leave just because they have some limitations i think a big part of collins struggles were had to do with the stress put on him by and put on the defense as a whole by ogletree and riley he was asked to do things that he isn't great at because the other guys just flat couldn't do them i think if they especially upgrade the free safety position that would allow collins to do a lot more of what he is really good at which is roam around close to the line of scrimmage play kind of a shallow zone coverage be that enforcer in the run game and an absolute heat-seeking missile in the pass rush you know, basically if they upgrade if they find a competent free safety they could use collins the same way spags did back in 2016 when he had a historic season we know he's capable of that so keep him and put him in position to do that
1: yeah especially in that the better scheme that Knows how to use that the type of player in that pseudo linebacker role. They, they, he came from that money backer role in Arizona with Deion Buchanan. I'm not sure Collins should be used exactly that way. But it's, yeah, someone who can play in the box, can blitz. Landon Collins is a very good blitzer. Yeah. So if you have him just around the ball more, um, that, is, that is good the decision has to be made of whether to tag him or not. And I think tagging him is is a no-brainer if a long-term deal can't get done. I think the, the ideal should be getting a long-term deal done, especially because you can work out the money as such that uh, you can... Lower his cap hit a little bit for 2019. That'll free up some more money for other improvements in the roster. Uh, because if you sign him to the franchise tag, that's probably around 12 million dollars this year, and you can't really maneuver that. That's that's a very solid 12 million dollars. But if you sign him to a long-term deal, you can. Bump that down a little bit in the first year while he's still getting you know enough money from a long-term deal. Uh, so yeah, that's probably priority number one. Uh, and then they have uh, two, I think, two other big things of whether to to keep or not. And that is in Olivier Vernon and Janoris Jenkins. Uh, a lot of people are on the cut Vernon bandwagon just because of how much money he's making he is a 19 and a half million dollar cap hit the giants would save 11.5 million dollars by releasing him i think the problem is again vernon was very good the pass rush was very good so if you're getting rid of vernon and and the pass rush is just bound to regress because of the amount of pressure they had Um, Even though the sacks weren't there. A pressure rate is more predictive of future sack rate than current sack rate is. So if you're getting pressure without sacks, you're still more likely to have more sacks down the road. And that's what the Giants are looking at in 2019. So if you replace Vernon, you're basically only replacing something that... Uh, is already going to improve, so you're kind of only breaking even there. So that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. What you could do for Vernon is restructure his contract. That adds a little more money in next year, but it still creates the same amount of cap space if you cut him after 2019. Uh, so I think that's the way to go. I'm fully on board with keeping Vernon and maybe add, and adding you know, a secondary piece, whether it be through free agency or maybe uh, in the second round of the draft, getting... A an edge rusher to add to that rotation. I think that is the best way to go about improving the pass rush is adding to that unit and not subtracting.
2: Absolutely. You know, I did my second semi serious, at least as serious as it could be at this time of year, mock draft this past week. And yeah, I pretty much planned out a worst case scenario for the giants to be picking at six and had Dwayne Haskins off the board and casting myself in the role of Dave Gettleman, not even considering Kyler Murray, unless, you know, he happened to fall to the sixth round and I was looking for a slot receiver. I wound up grabbing, uh, Jakai polite out of Florida because I wanted to add to that pass rush, not try to just replace Vernon with another guy who might not be able to get the same volume of pressure that he can instead of making a lateral move i wanted to make an additive move which given how vernon performs when he has a solid second piece or another good dangerous pass rusher possibly a multiplicative move and that's like i said i think that's where the giants need to go if they want to get actually get better that and improving the secondary which i of the decisions to made i think to be made i think is the one that we kind of disagree on a little bit
1: Uh, yeah so if there's one cap casualty i think i would go with jenkins of releasing him this year would would free up a 7.75 million dollars of cap savings uh, per over the cap so he's already scheduled to make 14.75 this year The, the so releasing him takes away the just about half of that. So I think replacing Jenkins and replacing his production uh, is going to be easier on a cheaper contract for either even a rookie. And remember, Sam Beal uh, will be on the team uh, in 2019, the third round supplemental draft pick. So he'll be in the cornerback rotation. I think replacing Jenkins is going to be much easier, especially when you look at some of the the free agents that could be available. Uh, if if You want to go? I mean, Kareem Jackson is you know on the older side, but he might not get a lot of money in free agency. You can bring him in, uh, the Morris Claiborne. Then you have guys, uh, even if you want to go, you know, nickel like Justin Coleman from the Seahawks, you have Bryce Callahan from the Bears. Uh, if you want to take uh, a Just a lottery shot, a low risk, high reward. You can go Jason Veray from the Chargers, who hasn't really been healthy in two years, but when he's been healthy, is one of the top cornerbacks in the league. If you give him maybe an incentive-laden deal that has low guarantees and he pans out, that's, that's a top corner that you have. You have Bradley Roby, who is going to be a free agent. Someone like Ronald Darby, even Orlando Skandrick was much better than his his perception in Kansas City this year. There, there are a lot of free agents here where I think you don't have to be paying the, the Jenkins premium to get that type of quality, which I think you would have to do to replace Vernon. Uh, so I think trying to go out and replacing Jenkins just makes a lot more sense financially and with on-the-field production to me. Yeah, I
2: absolutely see that. But I personally would just leave Jenkins alone and try to upgrade around him. Again, fix the free safety position because then you have that guy back there facilitating communication, getting the right – getting his assignments right and providing the double team where it needs to be, which I think would help both corners. And like you said, they will be getting Sam Beal. He is you know, – we've talked about him before – he has all the physical tools you could ask for, except maybe a little bit of strength and thickness. But when it comes to just his feet and hips and ability to just get in a receiver's hip pocket and stay there, he's got that ability. And I think having him as your number two corner and fixing the free safety position would allow Betcher to call more of that press man coverage that he likes which is also what Jenkins excels in that's when he's at his best when he can just man up and stick with a corner instead of playing more zone coverages which was what the Giants kind of had to do when they moved to having BW Webb on the field every snap and try to give Curtis Riley less field to cover
1: yeah, we're not going to disagree on free safety being a major piece of emphasis going into the off season. I when you look at just safety, uh, it's it's an interesting free agent class. You have Marcus Joyner, you have Earl Thomas, who's going to be coming off an injury. Uh, You have Tyron Matthew. So there's, there's some, some top tier guys. And then you have guys who maybe if you do now go for a guy like Trey Boston, who's probably going to be a little cheaper. I think that route, I mean, the bar to upgrade at safety is so low for the giants that you don't totally need to go all out. So, and it, also depends on how the league now is going to view the safety position again this year if it's another crazy year where they're not really throwing out a lot of money there's going to be value to be had uh, at this position again so you kind of i think have to see how the market comes out because maybe the giants can get a huge upgrade and not pay a lot of money which would absolutely be ideal
2: yeah if they could somehow walk uh, walk away from this free agency period by keeping you know some of their better players not having to release them for cap money and maybe come out with Tyron Matthew and Earl Thomas which if you look at the caliber of player that's an absolute moonshot but if the market doesn't correct upwards at safety it might be doable <laughs>
1: We'll see. I think that, that, that would take a lot of cap maneuvering. uh, I believe, even if the market doesn't fully correct itself, I think those two guys are probably going to get a decent amount of money. Um, They should, but yeah, but if you have a guy like Boston, I I think he should be someone, the giants do target. It'd be a huge upgrade. Probably won't cost a lot. Uh, He's still only 27 right now. So I think that's, that's where to go. But I, I think, uh, and I think we, we both agree, and I'm not sure if this is where the Giants are going to go, but the secondary should be where the Giants are really putting their efforts in improving. And the pass rush, as few sacks as they had, that should not be where... Uh, They do most of the focus and feel like major improvements are needed there uh, because the the pressure was there and the sacks are going to come. That's really just how it works. So... I'm really scared they are going to cut Vernon and try to bring in some other big number one piece, um, either with the six overall pick or paying a lot in free agency. And those pass rushers are going to cost a lot more in free agency than a safety or corner are going to. And, and then it's just going to be a wash because of how the pass rush would have improved anyway. So I think I just want like to have that overall view of the secondary should be a much higher priority of what they need to improve than the pass rush is.
2: Definitely. Yeah, the pass rush should be built upon. They've got a foundation there. Hopefully, hopefully Lorenzo Carter will be able to realize his potential. Yeah, it might take another year of development as he basically gets used to playing just edge instead of wearing all of the hats like he did in georgia but he's got that just freakishly freakish spark rating which we've both said in a few times the giants need on defense they need those kind of just ridiculous athletes who can out athlete the offensive player now he just needs to be able to put that to use
1: yeah. And I think that's what you're hoping for in a lot of those positions that the guys who showed some promise uh, will continue to show that. And either the guys who didn't show that promise are either improved upon or they step up their game. And that's really, th- those are the only options that the Giants have right now. And I think when you look at it, it's, oh, a lot of resources are going to be put into the defense. It just depends on where the Gettleman and the coaching staff believe those resources should be put on the defense. So I think we'll we'll end this show there. Just kind of wait to see how this turns out, because it's going to be interesting to see where the Giants do feel those needs fall. So... We're going to be back to uh, back to some more draft stuff next week. Uh, we are going to have Mark Schofield uh, on the show again to talk about some draft quarterbacks. Uh, we talked to him uh, once before, uh, and a lot of people liked that episode. I very much liked that episode. So we're going to bring him on again. We're going to talk in depth about a lot of the draft quarterbacks. Um, so look forward to that. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review if you have not. That helps us out greatly. Or follow our work on BigBlueView.com. Follow BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView. Follow us on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can follow Chris on Twitter at RaptorMKII. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.